America, my name is Ayumi Ose Frimpong, and you are watching The Black Athenians. I come to you live every Friday around four-ish, in which I try to give you and convey the quality of political wisdom that you might not have gotten in school that'll help you make sense of your life. And I feel like in these times of woe and want, you need someone telling you that maybe we need to be advocating for a federal bailout of states and municipalities as opposed to focusing on masks. Masks are important, but a federal bailout of states and municipalities are more, is more important. And it's possible that we're being a little bit distracted because, uh, you know, there's a concept of transference and projection and pretty much we try to do the th things that we can individually control, even if they're, inadequate fundamentally inadequate so we need to and i think actually i'm going to do a whole show on this probably next week sometime when we open up schools i think right now we should be thinking about building schools right because either we shut down public education and i think white people are going to go this route if you don't watch them or we actually start building the quality of schools that could sustain social distancing, which means maybe getting classes, class sizes down to 10 people, which means we start hiring and we start building because it turns out we're the U.S. We print money, right? So as long as the, the money's going to productivity and will increase productivity, it's a good thing, right? So we schools, get kids back in schools, get classes down to 10, get class sizes down to 10, which means parents can work as opposed to homeschooling their kids and productivity goes up or stays up. Kids get schooled, they get schooled in safe environments and everyone wins. That's the way we ought to solve the problem. But, and talk about solving the problem. Instead we're talking about like, I don't know, like I said, masks, right? Which are very important, but also misplay our problem. Uh, so what we are going to talk about today is actually structures and there was a, a woman who came to a city council meeting in Athens a few weeks ago, and I want to play another clip. She says there's no structural racism, and she says it in a very interesting way. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. Now, I saw that video the first time, and I was like, this woman... You know, it's it's a failure of public education. It's a failure of our public culture that she was raised this way. And then uh, I just made an offhanded joke about, like, she looks like everybody's real estate agent. Turns out, would you believe she is a real estate agent? <laughs> I was right. I could sense it. You could say, I mean, you can't judge. Actually, you can if you're good at it, which I am. So I do. And so she, it turns out she was a real estate agent. The local Realtors Association sent out a memo to all the real estate agents saying that the defund the police uh, initiative or any kind of talk <laughs> as if we would support the defund the police initiative would end up cratering the housing market and people would lose their housing values, right? Look, they, they said, well, you know, funding the police is what has led to a decrease in crime over the last 25 years. First of all, the decrease in crime over the last 25 years has been nationwide, and nobody really knows what caused it. 
I have a theory. I mean, you hear anything from lead paint, you hear, uh, I mean, it started before the crime bill, the, the, the drop in crime, everything from lead paint, uh, making people like the getting rid of lead paint, making people make better decisions or helping people make better decisions to, um, you know, general economic welfare. I have a theory that's actually information technology. 911 like only came about in the seventies, right? So the crime wave went down starting with young people just committing fewer crimes. And then as they got older, they committed fewer crimes as they were older. Right, so I, I think it was information technology. I think it was information technology and also better parenting. We underestimate how much generalized violence happened in households before, you know, the 70s. Right, so parenting in 1955 was different in 1975, which is different in 1995. People just used to hit their kids all of the time for all sorts of reasons back then. Not the most, we weren't, as a culture, we didn't have a generalized notion of what good and bad parenting was. So everyone just, like a lot of people just abused their kids and they just called it parenting because they themselves were abused. Not, there wasn't a rich literature about maybe we should think about what abuse looks like. So I think parenting changed uh, for the generation that was, you know, being parented in the late 70s or 80s, and then they committed fewer crimes in the 90s and 2000s. Because, look, parents 70 years ago were just drunk. It's just that we were a nation of drunks. <laughs> Make no mistake, prohibition happened for a reason. I'm not a fan of prohibition, but, like, I, I understand it. It happened for a reason. A lot of people drank. So we were a nation of drunks and who didn't have the resources conceptually or materially to handle the stress of our lives. So there was a lot of drunk parenting. There was a lot of hitting. There was a lot of bad parenting, which I think led to crimes. And then, there was, and then I said, like I said, an, an increase of information technology. 911 came uh, in the 70s. So that could help crime go down. But it was only like, you know, 25%, 30% in the 70s. And then you know, 50% in the 80s, and then by the year 2000, 93% of the U.S. was covered by 911. But it's not as if, it's not as if everyone could contact everyone about every issue at any time, right? So I think information technology and superior parenting, and the two go together, right? You had mom, you have mom blogs now, right? So it used to be that, but nobody talks about it in these terms because the family is pretty much a black box. We pretend that it doesn't matter uh, because there's no juridical barrier within the family. That means there's no cop there in the household. So it's kind of a black box. It has inputs and outputs, but we don't know what goes on there. I can tell you what went on there in the 50s, 60s, and 40s, 50s, 60s. It was violent. Lots of violence. Because there's no manual about this and people weren't particularly creative in, in solving solutions and in, in, in in arriving at solutions. So I think less violent parenting or, you know, more purposeful, intentional parenting led to uh, less crime. I'm pretty sure that's, I suspect that's the case, but my theory is as good as anybody else's because nobody really knows. Nobody really knows why the crime wave dipped. It definitely wasn't just more cops around because that's been proven to, like, not make a difference. Uh, more traffic, just in general, like foot traffic, has been. Has been. But the fact that our cops now have drones... 
doesn't really do anything for for crime or that our cop looks like look <laughs> the militarization of our cops hasn't really done anything to to drop crime as much as you know these other cultural aspects and i think it's i think it's parenting maybe it's a lead paint maybe it's uh, uh general economic well-being but that argument doesn't really hold just because the crime goes down even during the sessions in ways that we can't we can't anticipate. So I think it's just a generalized, less violent than the house. And also, you got to understand that the seventies, when we started getting serious about domestic violence, then we got serious about more just violence in general, right? So spouses stopped hitting each other, and then they started to think, oh yeah, maybe hitting isn't the best way to think about other people. And so they, you know, well they they hit their kids less, and if they hit their kids less. Then the kids went out and, you know, hit other people less. So it was just the generalized violence went down. The thoughtless violence went down about that time. And I think that's what led to the, the decrease. But my theory is as good as anybody else's. It's just that my theory is mine. And you won't hear it any other place because I don't think anybody else looks at parenting in the same way because... One, you have to start, <laughs> nobody wants to actually like point the finger at women. I don't have a problem with that sometimes because, you know, I understand that mothers hit kids and that, that women aren't necessarily sugar, spice, and everything nice. They're just regular people like everyone else is a person. And if there were violent households and fathers were absent, that means who was doing the violence? I'm just saying, we got to look at, we got to look at, at mothers sometimes when you think about violence in the household, especially child abuse, right? So spouses are abusing each other as much. And so parents are just less abusive in general. So there's just more, there's, there's less generalized violence in the household. And I think that leads to, I don't know, maybe the dip in the crime wave, possibly. But according to this real estate lady, it's just more money to cops, which, you know, there's no. No, no, because it was a nationwide phenomenon. So that's a problem. And the problem is that this is a real estate agent. So you can say, that, well, you know, she's ignorant. She doesn't know about uh, racism. But it's not like she has any power, except she's a whole real estate agent, which means that's neighborhood segregation. That's, how, that's school segregation. That's, and if you talk to real estate agents, especially the white women, the first thing they'll tell you is, well, that's illegal. We can't do that. We don't, we don't support racism. We're real estate agents. That's illegal. That's been illegal for decades. Yeah, you know what? was also illegal segregated schools brown versus board of education said we you know we, we separate but equal um schools are not constitutional and you know what the south did kept our schools segregated so it's not as if uh illegality means anything if the public culture isn't behind it and right now the public culture is uh, as much as i don't appreciate it the public culture is anti-black and pro cops policing black people and <laughs> and so our real estate agents are pro cops policing black people and there was a great piece by Kwame Holmes that I mentioned last week about how when Philando Castile died outside of Minneapolis, because he died in its suburbs, the housing actually the housing prices went up because having your suburb be known as the suburb who kills black people, uh, whose cops kill black people, is actually good for the housing values. Just ask the people in Forsyth County, Georgia, or the people in Oconee County, Georgia, both counties known for having a culture that's very comfortable with the uh, extrajudicial and judicial murder of black people. So, 
And it's good for housing values. Them is the brakes in these United States. So <laughs> allowing the mark, the housing market to decide your morality or decide the existence of structural racism um, based on your, how it's good for your private check isn't exactly the most responsible way to address structural racism, I think. So that's how you get a woman with who can with a straight face say, I, I love this clip, say this. Minneapolis, Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is... Look, I, I do not make white people white. They white on their own. I just want to dismantle whiteness and then kind of reconstitute it in a way that's consistent with my freedom and the truth. And she said this in public. So I'll just keep playing that clip for as long as I want to play the clip, not slander or libel or anything. These are her words. And I'm just saying what little sense these words, how problematic these words may be. All right. So real estate agent, what you have to understand about systemic racism is that it works as a system. That means a functional bit of parts. And if you understand anything to understand something, to know something is to know its parts and how these parts all function together. Right. So you just have kind of an abstract understanding. If you understand uh, uh, things on the on like a, the surface level, but you can't, you don't really know the parts or how it fits together. I'll give a, I'll give a, I'll give a soccer analogy. I could give a basketball analogy. I think I, I can give a basketball analogy. All right, so the triangle offense. I'm going to give a soccer and a basketball analogy. Right, so you could say, well, I know about soccer, um, because I know it's one of those sports where you can't, uh, you know, you can't pick up the ball with your hands. And you can think, well, that's some sort of knowledge of soccer. You kind of know soccer, but you don't really know soccer, right? Like, if you can't tell the difference between a German team playing soccer, an African, uh, a Brazilian team playing soccer, and a Korean team playing soccer, then you don't actually know what soccer looks like. The spacing will be different, the way they use space and pass, and the, the, the way they, like, go about the business of trying to score goals is going to just look different. German team, Brazilian team, South Korean. Three different Japanese, right? Like any East Asian team, like any South American team, and then like any like Northern European team. It's going to be three different forms of styles of play, right? And if you can't differentiate those three different styles, if you don't know like how those styles would like, if you don't know what they look like individually and then how they match up against each other, then you don't know really what soccer is. You have an abstract notion of soccer, but your notion isn't concrete. It's the same with like, and I was about to say basketball. You could say the same with the way the, uh, the Bulls in the 90s played basketball versus the way the Golden State Warriors played basketball. You can say, well, you know, I know basketball, but I can't tell the difference between the 90s Bulls and the Golden State Warriors in their style of play. Well, then if you can't tell the difference, your knowledge of basketball is really abstract. You kind of have an abstract knowledge you you don't know how the parts fit together and what the different forms and then how the forms interact with each other like a real person who actually knows the game of basketball will be able to identify pretty quickly the difference between uh, the 90s bulls and the you know 2017 warriors right and they'll actually be able to design offenses and defenses against those different styles of play so not only will they understand them in isolation, they'll understand how they work together. And that way, if you understand how things work together and in isolation, that way you know the universal. You know what basketball is. You have a concrete notion of basketball. What this has to do with structural, this has to do with structural racism is if you don't understand the parts and how they fit together, 
of structural racism, then like you don't you will have just an abstract notion of of what racism looks like or anti-black degradation or white supremacy looks like. And you'll find yourself saying stupid things like it doesn't exist, despite <laughs> despite the numbers. Um, all right. So. Good. Yeah, I. I this is Athens Clark County's uh, prison uh, jail. Our jail. Our jail has what? Uh, 439 people in it as of last year, and 72% of the population was black. And of those black people, you know, uh, 279 of them were male, 36 were female. So we have a, uh, a, a, and black people are about a third of Athens. So we have a jail system that targets black men. Right. So how does it work? How does it fit together? Well, let's talk about the real estate agent. Right. So real estate agents, you have to know what they are individual. And then you have to know about what they are, like how they figure in the system. Real estate agents have to get listings from home sellers and then they have to ingratiate themselves into home buyers. Home sellers are racist and home buyers are racist. So even if you say that, like, well, it's illegal for us to be racist, you're going to have to ingratiate yourself in the neighborhood of racists who are going, who you want, who um, you want them to let you sell their house. So, you know, you're whacking off racists here and then you're whacking off racists on the other side because you're going to potential sellers. You're going to have to be a good fit for their vision for their new home. So you're and if they're racist and white money in the United States is, you know, when they say we want, you know, good schools and a good neighborhood and one that we just feel comfortable in. They they mean people who are very comfortable with whiteness, like who makes who make white people feel good about being white and not that not necessarily feel bad about being white or like feel like there's work to be done. Right. So a real estate agent who makes the racist seller, uh, racist buyer feel comfortable. So because the buyer can pick out of a panoply of real estate agents. And then the real estate agent who makes the seller feel comfortable because the real estate agent wants to be known in the neighborhood as someone you go to when you want to sell your house because they want to keep the integrity of the neighborhood as is they're going to get racism. They're going to get racist um, incentives from, from both angles. And yet peace, we allow them to tell themselves such a story that they can say this. Not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is not. Baltimore. So it's structural. It's structural insofar as it's just the incentives of the real estate market. It's racist insofar as it's actively anti-black. It's actively anti-black. There was a book, um, The Color of Money by Mercer Baradon. I want to say she said that pretty much once either your school or your neighborhood is more than 13% black, the, the values dip. The values dip. And that's just because... We're broke. We're broke, and like we are broke, and we can see it. You like you can see the brokenness because America has made black people broke through law. So like blackness is a pro is a proxy for stigma and degradation, and if you just want to not risk that for your family, you'll just flee black people. So 
And plus, if we actually right-sized the housing market, and uh, because apparently there's a premium of about a third of housing value is just whiteness, right? So you take that same house, same amenities, put black people in it, or like a neighborhood that's more than 13% black, the housing value would just go down by like a third, right? So it would crater suburban, racial justice would crater suburban housing values. Because if suburban housing values are only what they are because they're white, they're not what they are because they're, like, <laughs> but because they're necessarily close to a grocery store, or uh, uh, you know cultural amenities. They are they are what they are because they're white, and if you take away that whiteness, then it's it's you've cratered the 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 housing market, right? So you have to think about the incentives that govern the profession and look at real estate agents as functional racists even if they it doesn't matter about their intentions if all of their incentives and their behaviors governed by racism then uh, then like they are participating in a system that is anti-black. And it'd be one thing if you're honest about it and say, like, we need to fix our profession. We need to look at the incentives. We need to figure out a way to actually secure, uh, to make sure that we're not just participating and profiting off of uh, racial injustice and, and white supremacy and anti-black degradation. We need to instead uh, structure the position, restructure the position, or restructure the housing market, or think about the way in which we evaluate schools in a way that doesn't just reproduce the problem. I mean, I think therapists are racist also for the same reason, right? They're paid to indulge the fantasies of whatever, you know, white people go to therapy more than anybody else because therapy's money. Uh, they're paid to indulge the fantasies of who's ever paying them. And if who's ever paying them is like, taken over by a fragility when, when it comes to race-based issues, their therapist is going to just indulge that fragility because they want the patient to come back. Right? I, I mean, the world would be better if I were, <laughs> if I were a therapist. If I were a therapist, there would be a lot, of, a lot more crying. Um, uh, but if I were a therapist, they would, they'd have to sign up for chunks. I'd like get the money up front for like 14 weeks. Say like, all right, so week eight, you're going to storm out of here very upset at what I'm doing. Storm out of here calling me all sorts of names. Um, and then by week 12, you'll realize that I was right the whole time. So the market model is not particularly uh, productive of racial justice, the private market model especially. And real estate agents function in the system that sustains uh, neighborhood segregation and school segregation. And they profit from it, right? They profit from it. The more segregated the neighborhood, the easier it is uh, to make a profit or to sell racism to racist clients or to sell racism to people in the, in the neighborhood who want to keep it a certain way, right? And you want to keep getting listings. So you want to be popular in the neighborhood. You want to do what you do. All right, so... To understand something, especially something like structural racism, you can't just have an abstract understanding of, well, it's racism without intentions. No, you need to understand the parts. You need to understand the parts and then how it fits together. You need to understand how the school-to-prison pipeline isn't just about cops. It's about teachers, and it's about real estate agents, and it's about the Chamber of Commerce that's not counterbalanced with a workers' center or a strong union culture. So it's about all of these 
interlocking parts functioning together and to in a church that then legitimizes and even uh, sacralizes all of these dubious interactions. Right. So if you want to pull this apart, you need to come up with and contrive different parts. You can't just be, I'm an anti-racist. No, you need to think, all right, so I need an anti-racist church and I need uh, an anti-racist uh, curriculum in my schools and I need an anti-racist uh, family structure and I need an anti-racist real estate agent and I need them all um, uh, mutually reinforcing each other in uh, their relationships with each other, right? And that's just, that's just not like race blind. I mean, actively anti-racist. So you need, I'll do my next episode probably in a few weeks is going to be about how like you actually have to radicalize an entire town's civic infrastructure, not just put one progressive institution there, right? You need churches that uh, deal with unions, that deal with schools, schools that deal with unions, and like you need the entire, that have a media arm. So you need the entire infrastructure because to have a functioning unity, to have a functioning city, to have a functioning culture, it, it takes parts and the parts have to reinforce each other. That's how white supremacy works. You go to a white supremacist church who pumps out white supremacist uh, real estate agents who then turn the Rotary Club into a white supremacist organization or Kiwanis or, or the Chamber of Commerce who ends up with white supremacist businesses and then the daughters of them go and work as little white supremacist teachers in the public schools uh, up until up until this last election, like a good chunk of the school board were real estate agents in Athens. So you can just tell you what, how that means, how these institutions mutually reinforce each other for the detriment of black people. And uh, first of all, if you like anything I'm doing, I think you should go to www.thefunkyacademic.com and kick in $5, 15 or $50. I got that dreaded announcement today when I was taking a shower this morning. Uh you know, I get the announcement that you don't want to hear. I think there's a leak downstairs. So I promptly turned off the shower and now I have to go root out a leak and it's probably going to end up with a professional coming in because I have books to read. So if you want me to be able to do my thing in a place with pipes that work without mold, because... Uh, I have to go because that's and it's going to eat up my entire 4th of July or 3rd of July trying to hunt down the severity of this leak. I just want to call a professional, but I need called professional money. Go to funkyacademic.com because nobody else is going to tell you in clear words what it is to know something that means to know all of its parts, to be able to have the kind of mind that can divide it into parts, know all of these parts are distinct and differentiate them and then see how they function together. Because when you can do that, that means you know what you're talking about. When you can't do that, your knowledge is just abstract and you're just kind of floating along life. And that's the same with your own life. How well do you really know each other, know yourself and know each other? All right. So uh, thank you for your time. And I will see you next week. Let me do the tale. Peace your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, 15 or $50 a month or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of, 
In a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash. <laughs>